0: This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Today we're chatting with Tom Korski. Of course, you remember him. He's the senior reporter at the investigative uh, journalism website, Black Locks Reporter. Now listen, he watches Ottawa the way my mom used to watch The Cookie Jar. Tom keeps an eye on every crumb of government spending, and that's, uh, that's why we like talking to him. Uh, how are you doing, Tom? <laughs>
1: I will. Thank you, Todd.
0: Moms are great. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're trying to sneak a cookie, then they, you know, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but they put the cookies in there to start with. So it is what it is. So anyway, let's get down to it. I wanted to talk to you about uh, the parliamentary budget officer did a big analysis on the federal government's plan to ban thousands of guns and buy them back from licensed gun owners, put out a report, dug into the numbers, You wrote about that. You dug into the report itself. What are some of the high points there?
1: It's very expensive, uh, but more disturbingly, they don't know how expensive it is. This was a program set out by cabinet originally by uh, just an executive order. That's a news release from cabinet following a closed door meeting. And then an act of parliament that is still pending in the House. And it's to buy back uh, hundreds of uh, varieties of models of firearms uh, at uh, what they estimate would be retail prices, uh, uh, you know, scaled up uh, for depending on use. Well, they looked at an identical program in New Zealand and the uh, analysts at the budget office determined that there were huge cost overruns. Number one, no one knows how many of these firearms exist uh, within the country. And number two, no one knows their condition until there's actual buyback. So this is really a rabbit hole on costs. And the budget office, which is not a partisan organization, they're really accountants, said you don't know what the costs are and you can't know. Interestingly, the uh, budget office analyst relied not on data from Statistics Canada or the Department of Public Safety. They looked at uh, commercial data based on import permits through uh, 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 sporting associations and that's where they came up with estimates that range into hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and potentially three quarters of a billion dollars it's a staggering cost
0: yeah i found that range to be incredible if you went to buy a car or something and and the and the salesperson was like well yeah it'll cost you between 20 and What What are we talking? Do you even know what car we're talking about? One of the numbers that really jumped out at me, when they were looking at the numbers, the government was estimating that, nah, it's about 150,000 guns, maybe. Uh, Industry was saying, no, 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 no. There's more than half a million guns like this. That is a huge range. What, how are they, how can it be that they have, they're not, any closer than that i mean there's somebody's got to be way off what's what's your interpretation there
1: I, my take is uh todd that there there has always been this common theme that has run through federal gun regulation though they have years of experience handguns have been regulated in canada since 1935 and the common theme is this It's based on intuition or opinion, and then they figure out the details later. This goes back to the uh, famous, uh, opponents would say infamous, Shotgun Registry of 1995 that was prompted by a a crime that happened to be in uh, a riding right next to the Toronto constituency that had elected the then Attorney General, Alan Rock. And Mr. Rock determined that all shotguns would be registered, six million firearms. These are lawful weapons owned by farmers, ranchers. Six million weapons would be registered under threat of criminal sanctions. Well, the wheels were off the bus almost immediately. What was interesting though, is that shotgun registry bill was a perfect instance where the worst fears of opponents turned out to be prophetic. They were absolutely correct. They said, look, if this will cost you over a billion dollars and it will achieve almost nothing. And you know what happened, Todd? It cost over a billion dollars and it achieved almost nothing because it was an impulse of then Attorney General Rock, who said publicly it was his opinion that only police should have weapons in Canada. It's a very complex problem with layers and layers of regulation. But here we are decades later, another generation, a new cabinet. But the intuition is still the same. There is the sense in cabinet that we lack firearms regulations in Canada, though we know that's not true. In fact, our rate of gun ownership is quite low. Uh, When the United Nations tabulates countries that have high rates of gun ownership, we're about 13th on the list. We're way down there. And we're lower than countries, than New Zealand, for instance, But they uh, have this impulse that the answer to what they see as urban crime problems, in particular in Toronto, where once again another public safety minister is from, Bill Blair, that the answer is more regulation. And then they'll figure out the cost later. This will be a very expensive program if it proceeds, said Todd. And (laughs) their own budget office says, you don't know how expensive it will be.
0: Yeah, it's always scary when the accountant just kind of shrugs. Like, it's scary when the accountant comes up with big numbers, but it's scarier when the accountant just shrugs and says, I don't know, that's not a good sign. I found it interesting, one of the other things, that the, the uh, PBO avoided uh, a whole issue in terms of administration costs, that $750 million it estimated at the high end to buy these uh, these guns from licensed gun owners, that was just for buying the guns. That's none of the administrative costs. What are your thoughts there? And they
1: did note, uh, Todd, that in the New Zealand program, which they looked at as a, you know, Canadian version as a copycat of what New Zealand did. In New Zealand, uh, the administration costs uh, doubled and quadrupled. They went through the roof because it's very complicated. The shuffling of paper, the handling of forms, the uh, seizure of these weapons, the approval of payments. This is a false entire bureaucracy. You know, uh, on all these issues, on a whole range of issues you can think of, Todd, you know, if there's one overarching takeaway, it's this. There's this sort of sense that consensus is for losers in this town. Uh, They speak and everyone listens. If you believe there is an issue with unregulated, dangerous firearms in Canada. It's not complicated. You have public hearings, you invite knowledgeable people and experts to testify, and you discuss what, if anything, should be done. That doesn't happen. That, that hasn't happened in years on any issue. The last instance I can think of is free trade, highly contentious but even opponents of free trade, and that was a majority of voters, agreed in the end, if that's what the country wants, that's what the country can have. We don't do that anymore. Cabinet orders and everyone listens and the bureaucracy figures it out later and taxpayers get the bill. That's how we roll.
0: Yeah, it's particularly frustrating in this case because the government doesn't seem to be learning. It tried the long gun registry, light uh uh registered thousands and thousands of rifles and shotguns didn't spend hundreds of millions billions of dollars and then when it was dismantled it's not like this government has brought it back it seems to have recognized that that was a losing uh, proposition but now it's taking another round on it and i do find it interesting your note that uh there's really not consultation there's not really experts um uh, opinion brought in on this is just cabinet firing it out there and see what happens. We spoke to the uh, the president of the uh, National Police Federation. That's the union that uh, takes care of the RCMP. That union is saying this isn't going to make things safer. It's going to uh, it's just going to cost a lot of money that could be used for better things. Have you seen any uh, honest question here? Have you seen any evidence that this will make Canadians safer? No, because that's unprovable. And so
1: then it becomes, as we say, it's an impulse or really an opinion. It's a hunch. And then when you're regulating and spending money based on hunches or opinions or what you think might happen, the inevitable failure will speak for itself. This is why I mentioned about consensus. Uh, You know, that, that, that used to be just pro forma. Like every town council and school board does this. It's not complicated. The vast majority of Canadians don't own firearms. Why should they care about this? Because here you see once again, a cabinet doing what cabinets have done for years, whether it's on carbon tax, whether it's on fuel regulation, whether it's on the building code, whether it's firearms regulations, whatever. We think we want to get here. We want to get to this place. We've decided this is a problem, and we are going to solve it this way. You are going to take it, and you will like it. And that's where we are. And that's what they've done with firearms regulations as cabinet and successive cabinets have done on so many issues. They make it more complicated than what it is. But Whether there is an agenda, it's not obvious to me what the agenda here is, except to spend a lot of money collecting firearms that are not a leading cause of homicide in Canada, and our crime rate is not that high. What is the problem, they asked in cabinet? We don't know, Todd. Those meetings are not public. Friend used to say question period should be behind closed doors. Cabinet meetings should be public. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a great day, but they identified a problem, and they identified a solution, and they'll figure it out later. It's not a good way to run a, a railway, but that's how that's how Ottawa runs.
0: Yeah, it's always uh, anytime you're doing these things, you have to check the price tags and you have to actually see, talk to smart people, and see if it'll actually work. Okay, let's move on to something a little less heavy, though. Department of National Defense. Turns out uh, they don't just own, uh, you know, big ships and tanks and, and that kind of things. Sounds like the, they're also taking care of, you know, fairways and greens and that kind of thing. What did you dig up there?
1: Auditors within the department itself raised questions. It's a fascinating audit. The Department of National Defense owns dozens of social clubs, curling clubs, golf clubs. They even own a couple of yacht clubs. And this is for the, they say, esprit de corps of soldiers, sailors, and air crew. The problem is they don't know how to run a curling club, and they lose a lot of money at it. At least a third of the clubs they own operate at an annual loss. Can you guess who picks up the bill, Todd? Well, that's John Q. Sucker taxpayer (laughs) pays for that. It's millions of dollars a year. They found uh, auditors within the military found that club managers often didn't know what the word financial sustainability meant. What does sustainability mean? That was widely interpreted and misinterpreted. And more importantly, auditors asked themselves and wrote in their audit, are there not privately run or community curling clubs in your town? And they found, for instance, in those cities where the military owns golf courses, there are approximately seven to eight other private and locally owned golf courses. So why is the military in the golf course business? You know, Todd, <laughs> when you have a corporation that spends a quarter trillion dollars a year, like the government of Canada, there's no end to these audits. And there's no end to the uh, – I, 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 you don't want to throw around the word waste why, if I'm a taxpayer, am I paying for a money losing curling club for the military in Edmonton when there's a dozen other curling clubs in Edmonton? I guess that's a rhetorical question.
0: There's so much to unpack there. I guess your definition of of financially sustainable would be a little blurry maybe in your head if you can always just pass the bill to the taxpayer. Of course it's sustainable. You just send the bill to the taxpayer. We can sustain that forever you know it was interesting they're losing the auditors found that they're losing 2.7 million dollars so this isn't i i recognize in the grand scheme of dnd's budget that may seem small but a million dollars here a million dollars there it adds up to pretty real money and i think your point is very interesting it's not like there's a shortage of golf courses i've had the privilege of uh, of traveling a lot in canada even when you go up to the territories, there's golf courses everywhere in Canada. Like, golf courses and Tim Hortons, you can find them pretty well everywhere. doesn't seem like there's a shortage of them. And if we really want to help our, our, uh, our Canadian Forces members out, and of course we want them to have the opportunity to relax, I'm not sure this is the best uh, and most uh, uh, efficient way to do it. But here's the thing that kind of jumped out at me. These aren't even exclusively for uh, Canadian Forces members. Tell me about that.
1: Oh, they'll sell memberships to the public. Uh, th- their policy says that public memberships could not exceed 50% for obvious reasons, because now you're directly competing with the social club or the sporting, uh, the uh, you know, fishing and game club, literally across the street. And yet they found numerous instances where these military social clubs and sporting groups are selling more than 50 percent of memberships to the general public you are in direct competition so you can imagine whatever your business happens to be if you run a gas station and the department of national defense owns a gas station right across the street and as you mentioned uh, todd every april 1st start of the fiscal year someone drops off a new bale of money at that gas station across the street so they can go head to head (laughs) with you in competition for customers. It's frankly bizarre. The function of the national military is national defense. It is not to provide amusement for members. I'm sorry, if you are a soldier, sailor, or aircrew and you want to golf, you can go to the county golf course just like me and everybody else. That's not a sufficient reason to collect taxes under compulsion and threat of jail term. And that's what tax collection is. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it.
0: At absolute minimum, stop managing these things. Contract that out. You're bad at it. Sit down. Let somebody who actually knows how to run a golf course run a golf course. In totally unrelated news, I felt like uh, I just wanted to point out the Canadian Forces members are still using uh, World War II-era handguns. And uh, the military uh, is still, it seems, years away from replacing it. Maybe, maybe they've got a priority problem here. I'm just you know, if I don't think any of them using the same golf clubs that their grandpa used. Anyways, okay. let's keep rolling. The Minister of Heritage, Stephen Guibault. he's helping you out, Tom. You and your, uh, you and your uh, uh, colleagues. He put out a guide to help journalists combat disinformation how helpful is that
1: uh, the irony is noted uh, uh, the interesting part for us was enforcement which uh, minister gibo did not spell out but plans enforcement in 2022 this was a literal guide it's available on the internet guidance for news media on promoting diversity in news coverage and as you mentioned uh, todd Helpful tips for reporters on how to spot misinformation and disinformation. He even defined the terms. Interesting. This is what happens when you subsidize media, which is what Mr. Gibo's department did uh, under an act of Parliament amendments to the Income Tax Act. This was the famous half-billion-dollar newspaper bailout passed in 2019. Now you have the Department of Canadian Heritage in the newsroom. Uh, But that was insufficient. Now they've determined that even for those news media that don't take a penny of their money, all of us will be subject to their guidance, presumably, as I mentioned, with some enforcement measure on helping us with terms and how to report the news. I uh, will be frank, Todd. I took a New Year's resolution to cut down on cuss words. It's hard for me to discuss this. (laughs) On your program without using expletives. But I can't wait to see the guy in the lab coat with a clipboard walk into our newsroom in 2022 and have a seat right there, right there in the newsroom, and give us helpful tips as he checks off his questionnaire on whether our stories meet the federal guidelines. How strange, how weird is that? English speaking democracy. They have a control fetish when it comes to news media
0: that I've never seen before. They can't help themselves. If a bureaucrat is sent in to uh, edit your stories and we chat about it and you need to break your New Year's resolution, well, we'll just bleep it out. I feel like for your mental health, uh, we might need to let some of that fly. (laughs) just a little bit we'll put a little warning at the start and go from there what were some of the tips it's it's bizarre to me i don't know of anybody who's less qualified to tell media how to how to operate than a government minister but specifically what were what were some of the uh the tips he was providing
1: well the tips were uh, there was a Uh, Definitions of, for instance, misinformation, which is essentially news that is perhaps untrue and prompted by pure motive that may nonetheless lead a reader astray, and then disinformation, which is uh, news that is untrue, but prompted by a dark motive and intended for some sinister purpose. This is defined by a department that is necessarily bound up in conflict of interest and, again, for political gain. Uh, with all due respect to Steve Gibo, what he doesn't know about news media is everything. I've been doing this for 40 years. Second point the presumption the presumptiveness of this man to say, you know, uh, Canadians are so stupid. They are just so gullible. They are incapable of forming thought, of filtering information. They are like helpless ciphers. And if we can only control what news they receive, then we can control them. All of this We've discussed C-10 in the past, Todd. Bill C-36, don't get me started. The CRTC already receiving $3 million in extra funding to control internet content for which they have no legal authority. The fetish this cabinet has for controlling the internet and content on the internet
0: is breathtaking and it will necessarily end badly. You just told me not to get started on this, and I'm going to disregard you completely because uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Bill C-10 specifically, and then we'll move to Bill C-36 as well. And I've got, I've got a little admission uh, confession here, Tom. You know so much that I feel a little bit intimidating talk, or intimidated talking to you sometimes, so please forgive me for rubbing this in just a little bit, but Tom, you were wrong. You said that uh, the Senate would rubber stamp uh, C-10 and fire it through. And the Senate took it a different direction. What happened there? And how? I was uh,
1: 100% wrong. Well, the problem was summer happened. (laughs) 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 The warmth of the sun killed Bill C-10. what happens in Ottawa is when you get close to Canada Day, all the legislators want to go home. And that happened in the Senate, and uh, for all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the grief and gag orders that Cabinet imposed to frog march that bill out of the House of Commons into the Senate, where it simply died. It went to committee, and then the Senate adjourned until September 21, if there's not an election. The, the Senate did one thing. They sent it off to committee, the, their communications committee, the chair of which is a conservative senator, Senator Michael McDonald from Cape Breton, who doesn't like C-10 and said, we are going to have hearings on this like nobody's business. He described it as Orwellian and a rabbit hole of Internet regulation. So the outlook for C-10 is Absolutely, suddenly bleak, Scott uh, or uh, Todd. You're absolutely right. Uh, on on that bill, it is now a huge question mark whether it dies automatically if there's an election, which everyone expects, or if it goes through absolutely brutal, lengthy, and exhaustive cross examination in a Senate committee that is chaired by an opponent of the bill.
0: You know, I, uh, I don't often say good things about the Senate, uh, but the Senate actually <laughs> slowing things down in this case, the lack of efficiency in the Senate is uh, turning out really well. And I've got to comment on the fact, the weather situation, and this is just inside baseball, Tom, but we got to have fun with this kind of stuff. One of my favorite things about the House of Commons, uh, at least in the past, before all of the renos, was the air conditioning wasn't great. So every spring you could see there would be a point in June where one of the uh the members would would stand up and suggest to the speakers that perhaps the gentlemen could uh remove their suit jackets uh while uh while in the chamber. You knew at that point you had two or three days left. They could be going at it hammer and tong in uh in question period, and then they'd be like, Okay, let's go golfing and it'd be over. And it seems like uh Summertime saved us in this in this situation as well. But let's talk about you jumped onto another report that came out from the Canadian Internet Regulation Authority, uh, talking about this legislation. What did uh, what concerns were raised there? Tell us who those folks are first, and and then uh, get into some of those concerns.
1: Uh, this is an independent authority, and it manages uh, .ca uh, domain names, Canadian websites, over 3 million of them. And the uh, Internet Registry Authority issued a report and said that Canada is at a crossroads on, on its Internet. Uh, after all these decades of uh, spontaneous and wonderful, free-spirited, funny, outrageous, informative internet content now confronted with the hammer of federal regulation, the authorities said the, the, the internet is at a crossroads, quote unquote. And the crossroads is the determination of whether the government of Canada is going to put itself in charge of reg- regulating what you see and what you hear and what you read on the internet in Canada in the 21st century, they have also drawn alarm over enforcement mechanisms, which have never really been spelled out by cabinet. Uh, the Minister Guibo has talked about 24-hour takedown. What does that really mean? But the uh, registry authority determined that there is technological capability to simply kill websites in Canada. It can be done. And if it was an enforcement measure, that's where we would be. I know that you're, you're describing a, a socialist Asian republic when you talk about this. It sounds like North Korea. But this has been part of ordinary public discourse in Ottawa now. Will the Department of Canadian Heritage actually pass internet regulations that would allow it to kill websites through a federal body like the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. Well, this is not crazy talk. That's not conspiracy theories on the internet. This is the internet registry authority saying there are some serious issues with this. Because, as they put it, it appears the day of the open internet in Canada is over. It's not over by popular demand. It's over by cabinet demand. It's that stark.
0: It's interesting that you refer to the popular demand, the uh, Internet Regulation Authority, which you should be clear, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's not actually an arm of government. That's a, a private agency. Uh, but the uh, Internet Regulation Authority uh, did some private polling to check, and it did something apparently the government didn't do. It asked Canadians, hey, uh, what do you think of this? Take us through some of those results. A two-thirds.
1: Two thirds of Canadians surveyed by the authority, exactly as you point out, uh, this is not. This has nothing to do with cabinet. It's it's an industry-driven agency. They're really their their function is managerial. They merely manage uh, the traffic uh, on uh, registration of domain names in Canada. It's, it's very straightforward. But they did the survey that cabinet didn't undertake. And two thirds said, "I fear for freedom of expression in my country." If there is regulation of content, that's two-thirds of people. Nobody asked Steve Gibo to tell them what to read and what to think. Nobody asked Steve Gibo for help in determining whether news is real or fake, whether it's disinformation or misinformation, whether it makes Steve look good, or whether it hurts his feelings. Steve put himself in that role with cabinet authority. We know this comes from the prime minister's office. The cabinet wanted to decide that. They're going to decide that for you. This has never really come to a head yet, uh, Todd, because it's, I mean, uh, people are leading busy lives. Who has time to go through the minutiae of proposed Internet regulations? We do, but that's our job. Yet everyday computer users, everyday mobile users, 33 million of them in our country, we'll find out soon. And when asked just the straight question, do you think this is a good idea? Their reaction is spontaneous, human, and entirely justifiable. They say, of course not. Why would I want that? Why would I want Steve being mother's little helper in my private media habits and that's where we are
0: yeah it's interesting even for us uh our supporters uh very quickly were uh generally against this legislation but it's interesting right at the start we got a bit of pushback from folks saying there's a lot of bad stuff on the internet maybe we do need to clean up some of that the more people learned about the legislation though the less of that we got as soon as they started to understand what it was man it went downhill fast and uh you know i'm not a professional politician by any stretch but when people learn more about your policy and like it less generally a bad sign but let's go to the next step on this bill c36 this is raising another level of of concern on this same issue tell us about that and where that's at
1: uh bill c36 is really something We've always said, if Steve Harper introduced this bill, you know the Toronto Star would be burning police cars. Uh, there would be ab- absolute public outrage. You know, when people say some of your members, the first blush say, "Yeah, there's, there's some rough business on the internet." Well, the, of course, the, a couple of things that they are not informed of, and forgive me for saying, and a lot of mainstream media coverage of these issues. Number one, you don't have to look at it. Number two, it's already illegal. Hate speech has been illegal in Canada since 1970. When cabinet tells you today we need regulations to curb hate speech, incorrect. It's been the law since 1970. Child pornography, meth dealing, terrorist financing on the internet are already illegal. What they're talking about is regulating legal content. And Bill C-36 is stupefying. What this bill proposes is that for hate speech, or what they describe as content that promotes vilification, quote-unquote, vilification of an identifiable group, that if you perpetuate that on the internet, Facebook blogger, Twitter feed your own personal website, a, con- a a comment posted on a uh, newspaper story on a website, whatever. If you promote vilification, you can be subject to $70,000 fines, $70,000. You can be subject to a hearing of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, or you can be the target of an anonymous complaint to a provincial court judge and subject to house arrest, even though the state has not proven you committed any crime that's thought police now you're regulating feelings even groups like the Ontario Civil Liberties Commission have said look at you are number one putting the onus on An author or an uploader of content or video or speech on the internet to prove they are not guilty. It doesn't work that way, my friend. Second, you are creating a complaints based system. We've tried this before. It was called Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, which meant people who didn't want the trouble of calling the police and having a criminal prosecution of illegal hate speech could simply make a, a no-cost complaint to the Canadian Human Rights Commission. And then the target of the complaint would have to explain themselves at a tribunal. It was so outrageous, Parliament repealed that section of the act. This was years ago. It passed Parliament, the House, the Senate, no complaints. They want to bring that back. C-36 is probably, in my opinion, it's probably the worst bill I've ever seen if you are an advocate of free expression in Canada. Don't be fooled by the language of its proponents when they say we must take action against hate speech. This has nothing to do with criminal activity. This has to do with expression
0: of thought. It is. An unbelievable bill, Todd. Yeah, and interestingly, they, uh, they introduced it just before the House rose. It seemed to be largely a political stunt because uh, it didn't seem like it would have a chance to pass. Um, but man, it does illustrate the fact that this general issue is heating up and is going to get uh, hotter and hotter, honestly. And, and that's why we're gearing up and trying to make sure that everybody knows what's at stake here, knows what's actually happening because ultimately, it's up to Canadians uh, to uh, weigh in on this. These are our laws. So we've got to have something to say about it. All right. Now, this, is a, this could be out of date 15 minutes from now. Uh, but, you know, I don't <laughs> think we can talk uh, to somebody in Ottawa without getting into the, uh, the uh, fun, fun game of election speculation. Tom, you, you, you hear every rumble. In Ottawa, what do you think? Uh, when's the election going to happen? Are we going to have one? What's, get out your crystal ball. What do, what do we see here? I think there's a couple of things. Uh,
1: there's almost certainly going to be an election in 2021. I, I think there's a hundred percent chance. Why do I say that? You can just sense uh, when the air is coming out of a parliament there, and, and this parliament is now dysfunctional. And I say that from the cabinet's point of view, they cannot get done what they want to get done. Look at seat 10. They've lost control. So an election call is not about uh, perception of an opportunity to win a majority. They just don't have a choice because uh, members of parliament and senate, they're at each other's throats. It's very acrimonious. And it should be, frankly, because there have been things that have gone on that require a new mandate. Cabinet has outspent Parliament from World War II. That's just arithmetic. That is a statistical fact. This cabinet borrowed and spent two-thirds of a trillion dollars. You must go back to the boss, that's the elector, and ask them, how do you think I'm doing? In terms of timing, I personally think it will be around Thanksgiving, after Labor Day, but uh, likely in October. I know there's talk of an August election. It's a little early, and no one pays attention in August because it's summertime, and we're winter people, and we want to enjoy ourselves, and it's harvest time, and it's back to school. Interestingly, uh, one thing to watch for, we've never had a pandemic election in Canada federally. It's never happened. But there have been two by-elections in last October 26th. And it was interesting to see voter turnout really low. Uh, voter turnout in provincial elections last year in Saskatchewan, and British Columbia, also very low. In the federal by-elections, there were, interestingly, polls in, for instance, North York, Ontario, where eight percent of people on the voters list actually cast a ballot. Eight percent. Ninety-two percent of people on the voters list didn't bother. Voter turnout makes it a real wild card election. But for those reasons, I think an election is in the cards, and it's
0: uh, likely going to be in fall. Well, Tom, you're almost always right. I got you on one thing. Uh, so that was the rough though. That Is That. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen though. If you're gonna be wrong about something, at least be wrong about something we're all happy about. And it's nice to see Bill Catan. I've never, uh, Bill, I've, never I've never
1: been wrong before, Todd. And, I, and I'm feeling very <laughs> hot and angry. I don't like this feeling.
0: <laughs> don't worry. I don't think it'll happen again. All right, Tom. Thank you so much for, for chatting with us today. Uh, Blacklox reporter. There's so much good uh, news out of uh, off that website. Tom produces a ton of it, and so uh, you know, really appreciate your work, Tom. And uh, encourage everybody to go take a look. We'll make sure the links uh, in our show notes. Uh, for all of you, thank you so much for listening and checking in with us. Please, uh, you know, share this with other people. Other people need to know about this as well. And also, one last little plug. If you go to Taxpayer.com, go on the shop button and you use the promo code uh, podcast, you can save 15% when you buy a funny shirt or a hat or whatever. So check that out. Thanks a lot, everybody. Hi, I'm Scott Henning, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favour and do them a favour and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.